Hello, everybody. I'm Mary Grothy, CEO of Sales BQ. Welcome to the Quarter Crusher podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, and this is exciting for us because I know our loyal audience here typically has to listen to me all by myself. We very rarely have guests. We're changing that in 2020. We want to have a lot more guests being brought to you. So funny thing happened. I went out on LinkedIn. I thought, I just need two top sales performers. That's what well, that's what I posted. Okay, network, find me two top salespeople that want to be interviewed on our Quota Crusher podcast. And then, well, my LinkedIn and email blew up. So we decided, since we had such a great response to this, that we are going to continuously record these and bring you a certified Quota Crusher story every single month. And you get to hear from these top reps. And our goal is that this is uh, very empowering for you that you get to hear it from the mouth of people that have done it, and I hope that you have great takeaways. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to our guest today, Ms. Kelly Fox. Welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm glad that you're number one, right? So if we both totally screw this thing up, that's okay, because every interview from here on out will be perfect. So way, way to be a, a beta. There we go. I'm happy to well, do it. <laughs> thank you. Well, and the fun part is we get to record this via Zoom today. Typically, we record in our office with a really nice setup, but Denver is Denver, and it decided to snow a day later yes. than it was supposed to snow, Exactly. and like everybody woke up to this, and it was not forecasted. So for those of you who don't know Denver, welcome to Denver. <laughs> and it'll, be, it'll, it'll melt by noon. It should. Yeah, that's yeah, the goal. Secret. Sun comes out. Let's just put our shorts and flip-flops on this afternoon. Exactly. Go have a margarita on a patio. Exactly. <laughs> it will probably happen somewhere. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> so let's do this. I want our audience to get to know you. And rather than hearing, you know, this whole life story, which I'm sure is really good. I try to keep these short. Let's hear about your sales career. Tell us about what happened. You and I entered into sales around the same time, kind of just thrown into it. I love that about you. So I want to hear about your sales career and give the audience an opportunity to hear what it looks like from day one and how that top performer is born. Yes. I, you know, I started in sales when I was 16 because if I wanted to drive, I needed gas money. So um, my, my mom was, a, was a, is a very successful occupational therapist and um, I look up to her and she was, she had certain rules. There was, you needed to work. Um, I needed to uh, get my college degree before I got married. There were certain rules that she had. And I, I, now looking back on it, I really appreciate that. And having to work in multiple retail jobs, I pretty much worked full-time through college. And um, I worked at some great culture, culturally, um, I would say, advanced um, retail jobs um, through that time. So I was really indoctrinated in culture and the sales process. We always had kind of, the, you know, the acronyms of like, one of them was like guest, you know, greet the customer, uncover what they're looking for, you know, address their their expectations, close the sale, and say thank you. And so um, every time I would work, that would happen. Well, I took to it immediately and loved it. I loved the metrics. I loved being number one. That's why I'm here today, right? And um, I just really enjoyed that aspect. And so it was interesting to me as I felt like I was very successful there, and then I got my college degree how uh, people kind of look down upon that experience, which is crazy to me because even when I was a hiring manager, I would always look for people that had that experience because working retail is brutal or being a server is brutal. You're, you're working with the public, you're 
hearing all kinds of stories that you really didn't want to know. <laughs> so um, it was, you know, one of those things that um, it's a well-rounded salesperson. So please, if you're hiring manager, don't discount those people. It's very important. Um, but it took me about a, a, almost a year to find a professional position. It was, um, I was sitting at a Super Bowl party and I had a friend of mine say, hey, we have an entry-level position at my company. I think you'd be great at it. And so I applied and that was really when my professional career started, but it took off and I was really thankful for my retail experience. And so when I went to, into that professional experience, it was like uh, going into the big leagues, um, you know, po politics in the workplace and um, competing against people. Um, but on top of that, add a very complex product and it was in, it's in financial services. I had to get securities licensed. Mm -hmm. um, I had to get my insurance license. Um, in the process of all that, I, I, I was getting married. And it, was just, it was a lot at the time. Um, but I love that experience um, working at the big insurance company because it really taught me how to lead a team, how to be a team player, um, doing those metrics, um, putting the power of pen to paper. And I see like a lot of white papers or fact sheets or whatever, but there still is power in putting a pen to a napkin. And yes. we have that technology even with webinars or um, Zoom or whatever to even use the whiteboard. There's just something that is magical that people really take that in. And then finally, what I really honed in on was building relationships with people, um, not treating people like a transaction. And so, um, you know, and you had to be, we were dealing with very high ticket items, very complex product, a very complex product. And it wasn't a physical product. That was what, it probably took me about a year to like get over that. It's a kind of a mythical product. It was variable annuity. And so it was one of those things that it's not like you're just going to have something on your mantle. <laughs> I mean, you'll have a prospectus, but it's not like you're going to display it with pride and like show everybody that you, you know, you have this type of thing. So, and then finally, the biggest takeaway through my sales time and, and, and onto today is it's very humbling, especially in financial services. You learn something new every single day. And um, I, I, that was a lesson I learned early on and accepted it and embraced it. And you make a mistake, you learn something new. You, you discover something about a mutual fund, having some caveat, like an interval fund, you learn something new. Agreed. And I don't often talk about this part of my professional career. I never got the series licensing, but I did get inch, uh, licensed in life and health. And that's not a small feat. It's a lot of hours of learning and you do have to take a pretty hefty exam. I think there's two of them, they're two hours each and four hours of testing in adult life is the worst thing ever. I'd rather have <laughs> surgery on my mouth. I, I sit there and take it not to get my master's, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. But that is a lot to take on all at once. And that's a really uh, strong comment that you made about retail and being a server because there are attributes that are gained in that from a sales perspective. I was a server for years. I had a lot of part-time jobs before I took a professional career. And I think I learned more in those few years of doing that, especially to how to budget my time and money because that was a variable pay position. And making just a low hourly rate back then in Colorado, it was back when it was like two bucks an hour on your hourly rate. And then you had the tips that you were bringing in and calculating. And that was really my first exposure to, wow, 
the better I do my job and the harder that I work, I make more money. And that was a great entry for me into a sales profession, even though at the time I didn't understand that uh, was a great gateway for me. But it really is people who have worked in that and have, are high performing in that and have the skills, it should not be overlooked by hiring managers. I think that was a really great point that you made. So I wanna hear some highlights on stats and rankings and I, I don't want you to be humble here. This is braggadocious section. <laughs> I want to hear what are some of those really great accomplishments that you had during that career? Yeah, and I, you know, I think that the, the, I, I will start with a highlight of every time you have a highlight, you probably had something that lit a fire under your butt or it was <laughs> devastating. Okay. So, um, you know, I, first of all, I knew I had a knack for improving processes and, and changing things when back in retail, I, I changed this, you know, as a back order system. Um, but it, it, it equated to an increase in sales of about 30 K, you know, per, per quarter. And so, um, you know, that definitely opened the eyeballs of my boss <laughs> and other stores adopted it. So, you know, it's one of those things that even if you feel like you're in a lowly position, you can make an impact on your company and, and, and help with sales in that respect. So um, when it came to going to the big insurance company, um, a little side story was, okay, so I was hired in 2006. I failed my first series exam and I failed it. Uh, 30 days prior to my wedding. <laughs> so oh. my amazing husband and family planned the last month of my wedding. And while I, like you said, um, spent a lot of time studying and, you know, learning things that were very foreign to me. <laughs> and so um, it was just, you know, a very crazy time. Um, but, you know, going from a low to an ultimate high of getting married and then kind of like, oh my goodness, I have this amazing job on my honeymoon and I'm just got married. Like that was a really cool reward. But what happens after that, right? And, and it's one of those things that you can kind of get stuck. We talk a lot at, at my company, Kitchen Traffic, about the dip and you can get, you probably have read about it from Seth Godin's book and it, where it talks about you're really facing life struggles and you're dealing with that. But as you climb out of the dip, um, and you stay focused and you stay consistent and you keep yourself accountable, that's where you're going to start seeing those highlights. So when it comes to that first big one is within about, about well, I guess it was a year and a half later, I was awarded internal wholesaler of the year. That's not an easy feat. It was against probably, I would say maybe about like, I would say 80 internal wholesalers that I went up against. And um, it was, there was only two awards awarded. So one for each channel. And I was one of them. And that was um, a really incredible experience coming from a very low point of failing the exam, probably in, in worrying that I wouldn't have a job to, to being one of the top performers in the company. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, going back down into the dip, um, 2008 hit financial services. Um, you know, you open your computer at the time and you see the stock market just constantly tanking. Um, and it, it was really difficult. You're hearing peers in the industry losing their jobs left and right. And we're not talking about just, you know, low level people. We're talking about like wholesalers that you look up to at other companies and you're mm -hmm. saying, wow, like they let go of that guy. Like he's amazing. Like he's an incredible, like wholesaler. How could they let go of that person? And it was just a matter of time at, 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 at my company that we would run into those same layoffs. And, um, despite at the time I was managing a group of, of internal wholesalers and had top numbers, um, they did have to downsize. And I don't know why the decision was made to ask me to be one of the people that left, um, but it was, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. Sometimes 
things that don't seem nice at the moment work out, right? So it's a, it's a blessing that it eventually works out over time. And so I was, at, I was told two things. I was pulled into an office, uh, the corner office, and I was told, hey, you can either take a severance or you can take on this sister company that no one really wants to work with. Nobody really knows how to work with them. Uh, the product that they are currently getting, um, they get paid about 25% more than what we're going to pay because we're changing the structure. This Again, this is 2008. <laughs> so, you know, everybody's changing the structure, getting more cash in reserves. They're trying to make sure that they um, have more stable ground because who knows what's going to happen. It, this, is, this is really unheard of at the time. And uh, so I, I took the latter opportunity. I took working with the sister company and um, realized really quickly that the, the, the cards were stacked against me. Like it was, it was one of those things that I had no budget and these folks are all over the States. And um, how was I going to get in front of them quickly? Cause I, they gave me two months and they said, well, if, you, if it doesn't work, then you're done. Like that's it. And so they were already utilizing, um, somebody out of Atlanta was using a, a webinar system. And I figured out really quickly that this company had, our company had webinars. Nobody was doing them. Nobody was using them. They had signed up through Cisco WebEx and nobody was using it. By the way, I found out later that it's a pretty expensive program to sign up for if you're not using it. Especially in 2008 when it's new technology, you actually had operators on the phone. Um, oh yeah. Helping with that. I mean, I got, I got really good friends with all the operators. <laughs> but it was one of those things that when you're faced with that obstacle, you have to really think out of the box. You have to change your mindset. You have to try and not just once you have to keep trying. And so, um, so I went ahead and did the first webinar. It was, um, we had close to, I want to say seven or 800 people. It was nerve wracking because I had, this is a sister company. Um, I had, I had corporate on, I had executives on, I mean, our, the CEO of our company was on and here I am and faced kind of just thrown into this, you know, and, and doing this. And I still have, um, the script and I read it verbatim <laughs> and it, you know, it was one of those things that you have to start somewhere. You're not going to be perfect from the get go. And so I took that and went, crazy with it. I, w I did probably two or three webinars um, a week. I did one-on-one -on -one webinars with trainings in offices. Um, we had to switch it up a little bit. After 2008, advisors didn't want product pushing. They needed to provide value. This is still mm -hmm. important in this day and age. Um, they wanted to provide value to their clients instead of being a therapist all the time. And it, and it was like that. It was really hard. They were constantly getting bombarded with clients saying like, my money's gone. And why is that the case? And, and they needed to have value. So I um, had taken this really horrible women in, in investing presentation, changed it, used it. And it's amazing to me to see how women in investing has changed nowadays. I mean, there are people who have full platforms on this. Um, and I did social security, made it really fun. I mean, nobody wants to talk about social security. <laughs> Uh, no, no, it, but we made it a very interactive presentation and I was sought after for doing that presentation because we had some fun stories. I mean, when you throw divorce in there and, and the payments, I mean, I had somebody that like their mom had been divorced like five times. And the question was, is whose social security she got paid off of? And it was, we made it fun. Right. And so, um, at the end of that kind of webinar journey, we, um, had taken a company that nobody wanted and, mm -hmm 
I had, um, this was beyond just a sister company, but in five years, I had about 7,000 people on those webinars. And when I left the big insurance company, I had the number one uh, broker dealer with our sister company um, in, in the independent financial planner channel. And there was no proprietariness there for the record. There was no like, oh, because they're a sister company, they get paid more. No, it was just hard work, determination. And <laughs> the other thing too was making our story and our, C our, our president at the time was, and he still is, he's just phenomenal about making a story relatable and making sure that it's repeatable. And so that's what I constantly did on those webinars. It wasn't like I had new content every single time. You know, I'd have new guests, but it was making that story so that someone else could say it to their client. And I would have people come up at conferences just like it was almost like I was talking to them about it. They would say the same words, you know, <laughs> and repeat it back to me. So um, those, yeah, are, those brilliant, are highlights. That's a brilliant approach. I love how many similarities we have in how we attacked our sales careers. And I did something very similar right when WebEx had come out. And yes, I remember the old days with the operator. They were connecting people on the line and yeah. uh, communicating <laughs> with you in the background. And yes, uh, definitely I have seen some evolution in the technology since then. However, when it first came out, I started using it internally. My first sales years were pretty big numbers and corporate loved that. And they said, we need other reps selling at your level. I said, great. I need to talk to them on a regular basis. I can't mm -hmm. teach them everything that I know in one sit down. That's not realistic. And so I started using a WebEx account. They didn't have one for me. The reps weren't allowed to have them. Only specific people at corporate, those that did more corporate level demos or whatnot. Yeah. And I begged until I got an account and I was the only rep in the country that had a WebEx account. Awesome. It was a big deal. <laughs> and I started training up the reps internally as well. And I feel like there are so many similarities with what you just said. This was a big change in 2008, 2009, 2010, this era where sales really started transitioning from feature benefit advantage to the, the problems that we solve and creating a story around that so it would resonate with people. I saw a big shift in how people were selling during that time. When I came into the market as a salesperson in 2006, I felt like I'm sorry, 2008. I started um, a payroll company in 2006. I started selling in 2008. I did something so different than my peers. And naturally, I'm a storyteller. That's who I am. I also was deathly afraid of sales. And I didn't ever want anyone to think I was selling them. Therefore, I backed into a very creative way to do that. And I felt very comfortable solving their problem. I did not feel comfortable selling them anything. Mm -hmm. And I became great and I didn't even know what I was doing, but I became great at discovery and asking questions and truly understanding what problems do you have? And then I would get very excited when I realized I had a solution I could tie into that. And I would embed a lot of third party stories and other reps simply were not doing that. And that was a game changer for our company. And I had the privilege of doing that. And it sounds like you were doing the exact same thing, different industry, yeah. really being that innovator on that. And I believe that that's a top attribute of a top performer is not waiting around for someone else to do something. If something is broken or not working in the way it's being done, and you've done that multiple times, you did that starting at 16 years old in retail, you're already identifying areas for improvement that threw 30 grand into their bottom line every quarter. I mean, this is truly something uh, that I think is a, a huge attribute of a top performer is this 
hustle, this perseverance, this high urgency, this, if it's not working great, like, let's just figure it out and let's make this happen. Let's not wait around and then make a bunch of excuses on why things aren't working. And while I can't hit my quota, I can't be successful because fill in the blank, like stop blaming things on other people and other things, just make it happen. And so I think that's really powerful. What do you think some of the attributes of top performers are in addition to that? Well, I think it's interesting. Um, I have a, I have a few, but just to tail off of what you just said, um, and I'm sure you got this a lot too. There was people that were just scared of that technology, and we I think we run into that nowadays too, right? And people are like, oh well, I don't want to do this because I'm uncomfortable with it. I was facing an uphill battle just because of compliance. We have com- you know compliance is like a wah wah in financial services like every day, <laughs> and and people were just saying like, well, it, it, that's fine. It worked for you. It didn't work for me. And they only only try it. This is the killer. They only try it once. There's no like, try it, get better, try it, get better, try it, get better. There's none of that. And so that's, that's an issue for me. So as a, as a, as a, a tribute to a salesperson, one of the top ones is being consistent and learning as you're going along, you know, as, especially the thing is you can read a lot from blogs and you can take a lot of advice from sales coaches. And, and I've had some great sales coaches as well. The thing is though, is you're not going to get better unless you learn from your clients and, and get that feedback and, and receive it. I, I have a hard time taking criticism just like anybody else, but receive it. So you can take that and be better. Early on in my career, my husband was telling me something that is so true, stay ahead of it. If, if you're having a hard time with someone, stay ahead of it. And so that's, that's kind of along the lines of dealing with that WebEx type of thing in that time, people just, it was really hard for them to, you know, to even think that that was a, a possibility. And now look at us. We're doing hey, a conference right here. <laughs> so, um, so I actually have had the opportunity to work with some incredible top performers in the industry. When after 2008 happened, um, we were able to recruit some incredible people. And I took that opportunity to really learn from them and what was, what was, what was different about them and why were they consistently number one? And number one is passion. You have to have passion for what you're selling. Um, if, if it's not something that you're into, you're get out. Yeah. I mean, what's going to get no you out one in the morning? Buy from you. Right. If you're not excited about it, no one else is going to be excited about it. Oh my gosh. I've listened to such mediocre salespeople. They're mediocre sales presentations trying to sell me things. It's like, if you don't even believe in this thing, if you can't get excited about it, if you have zero passion for it, why the heck should I get excited about buying it? Okay. Exactly. I, I, I totally agree. And I think a good test of this is, are you excited to get to work on Monday? I mean, that's yeah. the thing. And you know, I, I'm excited to get to work to, on Monday. I'm passionate about what I do. It's, it's very important. So find that passion. And if it's not working for you, I had, um, I had a, program management, a program manager give me some fabulous advice. Um, if you feel like you're not passionate or you're kind of losing the passion, don't discount yourself interview a couple of times a year. Even if you're happy in your position, interview a couple of times per year elsewhere. You might actually be shortchanging yourself and wow. something else might be available in a, in a better instance. Sure. So that's, that's a really good piece of advice from um, someone I worked with. Um, consistency, I mentioned that numerous times, um, being consistent, having a process and being accountable. Um, inquisitive, you are not telling your, your client stuff. This is not a situation where you have to be the smartest person in the room. And trust me, I have worked with a lot of portfolio managers that they feel that they need to be the smartest person in the room. 
And that is not how you build a relationship with someone. Um, be inquisitive, ask them personal questions, you know, ask them about their family. What are their passions? Um, see them light up with that. And that's always a, a gateway in. So you don't feel like you're constantly selling to the person you're building that um, relationship, yeah. which is another key um, aspect. And I, I, it's interesting because as a relationship, I would call myself a relationship expert. I see a lot about building relationships, um, but this is not just because you put somebody in a funnel. This is you taking time to build the relationship, just like you're building a relationship with a friend or your husband or your family. It's the same thing. Um, if you want that consistency, you have that relationship. One thing I did um, when I was just an internal on the desk is, and I still do this to this day, I had this, we had those big monitors at the time, right? <laughs> so you had like a, this section, I could put these, these awesome pink post-it notes. And I had my, my hot list, my top 50, always in front of me every day. Yeah. And I, I would always find a few minutes to call those people, every, you know, every week. And I would just run through the list. You know, I'm following up on opportunities. Did they close it? What can I help you with, et cetera, top of mind. Um, care. And, and I'm amazed by this, but some people just don't care. Um, people don't call back. Um, you know, it's one of those things, have that respect level. Um, share and show value. And, and if you're in a recession or not in a recession, give someone something of value that they can yes. take away, um, incorporate in their business if you're doing B2B or even B2C where you can really focus on that customer having value. So again, this all circles back to top of mind and that customer is going to think of you or that client's going to think of you and be, you're going to be top of mind. Accountability is a big one. And we stress the, that at my company, Kitchen Traffic, being accountable or having somebody hold you accountable, get a mentor, have a coach, or have one of the best advice I've ever received is have that friend that maybe is at your level. I have a friend mm -hmm. that is, um, she's an executive and she's also a mom and I can go to her about anything and she gets it. Like it's so nice and refreshing. And then I leave that with an open mind. And then finally, um, pay it forward. Um, do those nice things for someone else without being asked or without an end, you know, an end goal of, of yeah. your sales, just pay it forward. One of the things right there is, you know, sometimes you're not a fit, but eventually you will be. So don't burn your bridge. Okay? Oh, that is so powerful. I've had instances with prospects throughout my entire sales career where I, I got frustrated during the process. Sometimes you have difficult prospects and I've, I misstepped a few times in my career where I did feel like they were trying to get free consulting. I did feel like they were negotiating too heavily and it felt disrespectful that they weren't understanding the value, right? And then just mm -hmm. took it, try to take the price so low that I didn't appreciate it. And, and there were a few instances, especially just early in my career, where I didn't understand some of the basic principles that people are trained to negotiate. People also sometimes just truly can't wrap their head around how to buy the product or service that you're selling and it's confusing to them and they just need extra time. Um, it took me a, a while to understand how important timeline was for a buyer. And so early in my career, I had a short fuse. I had short patience. I was a top performer. I was also very young and had a lot of professional maturity that needed to uh, catch up to me. But I wanted the sale now. It was that world of immediate gratification. Um, I didn't do well with those longer term. But what I, what I started to realize is 
just because I'm excited about it and I want the sale now and I see reason for them to buy, I can't assume this sale at that level until they feel the same way. And so it really helped shift how I sold because I needed to make sure that I did a better job on the front end of truly understanding where they were coming from. So one of the things that shifted early in my career was exactly that. I started to realize, wait a second, if I stop being so aggressive and hung up on this immediate time frame, I can actually plant seeds for deals that'll close six, nine, 12, 24 months from now. Mm-hmm. And holy smokes, is that a great strategy? Because all of a sudden I get into my second year in sales, my third year in sales, my fourth year in sales. I've planted so many seeds. Holy crap. I might eighth year with this company and I had taken a three-year break in between, but I was pregnant with my son and I ended up finishing, I worked nine months out of the year and I ended up finishing number seven in the country and I worked, <laughs> I mean, I was pregnant and I was pregnant in the summer. So give me a break. But oh man. And that, I, that's I mentioned, like, nobody talks about pregnancy brain, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. I, I worked, um, maybe, maybe like 25 hours a week, maybe. And I'm probably inflating that in case anybody from my prior employer is going to listen to this. um, (laughs) But the thing is I had so many seeds planted and I didn't burn those bridges and I trusted my prospects, but it took a lot of maturity through selling to realize it's okay. And this principle I think is really huge, Kelly, because we bring this in to a lot of the reps that we coach at sales bq there's one team that i'm responsible for i'm trying to get out of client delivery but there's still one team i'm responsible for and i love them and they tell me they send me these emails where the prospect has all the buying signals and they're totally in but they simply just say the timing is not right and i can sometimes the reps come to me and they're discouraged and what should i say and how do i craft an email to get them to buy today and my answer is we don't we're respectful. We followed the process. We did everything brilliantly throughout and to maintain their trust that we worked so hard to earn. We respect what they're saying. And we make sure that we set very clear, committed next steps and get them locked down into that future timeline. And we continue to nurture this so that we don't burn this bridge today because it's all in that response and how you handle it because the prospect's not completely off the hook, right? They're, all, they're so interested, they want to buy. It's just not the right timing, but preserving that and then continuing to be respectful, those buyers will love you forever. Because unfortunately, there are a lot of super overly aggressive salespeople that will burn that bridge at that yes. moment in time. And you just never know. And it's not just prospects, it's existing clients, it's also teammates, it's bosses. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy how a lot of things you live in, you, know, you do enough rotations around this earth, you realize how many things come back into play. All right. We have one more thing that we want to talk about, and then we're going to wrap. And I want you to just spend a couple of minutes and telling us uh, something that's important to you. And you think that it's lacking in a lot of organizations, it's under discussed, and that's the customer lifetime value. So I'd love for you to share a couple high points on why this is important to you and what you're doing different in your company to really bring this to life and get a great ROI from it. Yes, it's uh, this is something that um, we at Kitchen Traffic are incredibly passionate about. And I think that we're actually Despite customer lifetime value being around for a long time, um, this is actually more important today just because of the noise. Um, this is not a, I'm, I'm a you know, carpet salesman and I'm just having a transaction with you and this is done. This is not the case. We live in a day and age where customers and clients do more research on the front end rather than just taking your call on a whim and saying, oh yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to purchase that from you. 
And so um, there's a statistic that came out from um, the White House Office of Consumer Affairs, and it is six to seven times more expensive to acquire a new customer than it is to keep a current one. So let that one sink in and stop treating your customers and clients like a transaction. <laughs> um, I talk about a lot about relationships. I talk a lot about um, consistency, but here's the thing. I mentioned that 50 list. The reason why I was a top performer is I was consistent with my existing customers. Um, I wasn't, yes, I was trying to find the, the new ticket or the new, new person, but there's a lot of time invested in that. And then what are you doing? You're, you're not, you're not balancing your time. Well, you're not focusing on those existing clients. And here's the thing your existing clients are a wealth of information and they are your number one billboard. I mean, they save you so much from a marketing perspective. So yeah. when it comes to that, you know, make sure that you're continuing to provide value there. Remember their pain points. What is it that brought them to you in the first place? Are you consistently addressing that? Um, you know, I did, I threw out social security earlier, but that was a big one. We were able to find people money when their retirement accounts had tanked. And so back to that, these advisors were able to help find their clients money through social security and some very in, in innovative ways and, and make sure that that was something that they were able to redeem themselves with their clients. But those advisors were for me too. Um, so they were consistent with me because I had helped them find this missed opportunity. Um, right. And the other thing too is is making those experiences memorable with those people. And, and so when I say that relationship, go above and beyond what the next person is doing. You know, send them, send them cookies, not from like the generic cookie place, although I do love Cheryl's, um, but, but like find someone local that can deliver something. I mean, with DoorDash nowadays, this is not hard or no. find something that is really unique that is going to stand out and not something with your company logo on it. Find something unique that really stands out so that they're thinking, they're thinking, wow, Kelly is really thinking about me. Like, I feel like not only was that whole process of, of purchasing that from her, like phenomenal, but she's amazing. And I want to go on next door or I want to share this on my Facebook page, or I want to tell somebody at Thanksgiving dinner that this was an amazing experience and that you should use Kelly Fox in, in, in buying, you know, X, Y, Z. And so that is so important. It's not used. And I'm going to tell you something else is don't listen to this noise that you constantly have to have a new person, a new person, a new person. Because the thing is, is those new, new people are flighty. You know, I think that we even talked about, you probably ran into this too, Mary, where, um, you know, they weren't really a consistent customer until maybe the fifth or sixth transaction, right? And so you have to not only invest in time in getting that person, but to get them to repeatedly buy, you have to get them to a customer lifetime value. Don't forget the people who purchased from you from the get-go and helped you get to where you are today. That's so brilliant. And these are very, very wise words, especially as our economy might shift in the next few years. You like how I threw that out there? Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like the people that you have a relationship with today, invest in that. Put a deposit into that bank account because these are the people that might help you weather the next storm. And also thinking about how deep those relationships go, marketing is very expensive. Acquiring a new customer is very expensive. And corporations are very quick to throw a lot of money at mastering that and getting that done. 
But the bottom line is look at the people that are already spending money with you, invest in the relationship, love on them, give them world-class service, make sure your product and service is absolutely excellent, and then nurture that relationship because you never know who they yeah. know. You never know who's going to be sitting around the table, like you said, at Thanksgiving, that's going to hear about your product, your services. You don't know what they're going to post on social media. Their ability to market and advertise for you is so powerful because trusted referrals are the number one reason why people buy. And that is a huge asset to an organization. So that was a beautiful ad there. Thank you. So let's wrap up. I would love for you to tell people how they can get in touch with you and anything else you want to tell us about you, kitchen traffic, et cetera, go for it. Yeah, I, I, you know, the best place to get in touch with us and really get killer content is our website. So www.kitchentraffic.com. Um, kitchen traffic is a metaphor. So we don't just work with restaurants. We work with businesses um, and help them get a better mindset, help them build their brand, help them um, have a plan to really succeed and, and deliver on even just these key attributes that I shared today. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm really active on LinkedIn. So just look up Kelly Fox, Kitchen Traffic, and there I am. <laughs> All right. We will make sure that we connect with you. And thank you for being on the show today. I love hearing from an actual, real certified quota crusher. Yeah. Congratulations <laughs> on all of your success and thanks for being on our show today. Thank you. This is fun. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Bye everybody. Bye.